Hi, hello, and welcome to the Living Martial Arts Podcast with me, the Dark Master. Um, I'm really excited. I've got a, a great guest uh, for you today. Um, I'm excited for a number of reasons, uh, because he's not only a martial artist, but he's a, an author as well, um, with a book that um, I'm actually very, very interested in, because he's very interested and very knowledgeable about the the uh, fitness side of um of exercise, which obviously incorporates martial arts. But anyway, uh, we have Mr. F- uh, Shane Fitzgibbon. Uh, so how are you doing, Shane? You okay? I'm wonderful, thank you. It's a nice dry day in Galway, which is saying something. Excellent, excellent. Well, we've, we've had some great weather. Um, we've got some lovely, lovely weather here. Um, and uh, I've been out this morning. Uh, I've been doing some resistance bands this morning and uh, doing a bit, bit of training. I like to train early in the morning. Uh, before anyone else is around and the air is nice and fresh, <laughs> so we get get a bit of a. Um, I, don't, I have I have um, a green gym all to myself. Uh, it's actually the, the local park, but uh, <laughs> there we go. Oh, it's, it's nice. It's nice. Well, um, I'm going to kick off as I always do with asking about your. I know a little bit about your martial arts journey, and I have shared a, a little bit of time with you uh, over the years. Um, at uh, tournaments and also um, in uh, in Africa as well at uh, one point, but uh, perhaps you could just uh, I know tell the listeners a little bit about your your martial arts journey, how it started and how it developed. Yes, so um, it's actually kind of a, I think it's a nice story. Um, I had become friends with a guy in my neighbourhood when I was around twelve, thirteen, and uh, we were just hanging out at my house one Saturday morning. And he announced he had to leave because he had to go to a Taekwondo class. And I had never heard of Taekwondo, but it, it sounded martial art to me. Yeah. So I asked him about it and uh, he gave me like a 30 second spiel on it. And I asked him, could I come down and, and watch the class? Because I, I'd always wanted to do martial arts. Like Bruce Lee was all the rage still yeah. in, in, the, uh, in, the, in the early mid 80s. So I came down anyway and uh, I watched the class and... I signed up the next week. Oh, excellent. Well, it's funny, isn't it? Because uh, Bruce uh, Bruce Lee uh, is probably responsible for a lot of people doing martial arts worldwide, um, and also also David Carradine in the Kung Fu series. Um, I, I was saying to someone, I, I actually bought the uh, soundtrack to Kung Fu and nearly wore it out. I've still got it <laughs> on, wow. on vinyl. So, when, when, I mean, where, where did you go from then? You know, once once you started, um, you know, were you very sort of competitive? Were you competition minded, or was it something that you know you, you enjoyed the um, the exercise part of it? Um, I very much enjoyed the camaraderie part of it. I okay. made some really good friends through through the taekwondo, and. I uh, I didn't get exposed to that many competitions at the beginning. I think I was uh, a yellow belt or, or green tag when I did my first one, and I, I came third place. I was I got this lovely big trophy nearly as big as me. <laughs> I was delighted. <laughs> it was it was the Cork Open, I think, and yeah. uh, so I delighted myself. And then there was a couple of, a few club competitions. I did kind of was a green belt when I did the next one. I don't really enjoy them. I I love sparring a class. I, I did and. I guess I was quite a physically strong teenager. Uh, I was sparring adults quite a lot. Yeah. And I didn't think anything of it. Now as an instructor, I'd be more hesitant to put teenagers sparring with adults. <laughs> but I thought nothing of it when I was a teenager. I was like, okay, you're sparring, no problem. Go for it. 
and I, yeah. I, I really did enjoy it. And uh, I think it, it, it made me it made me a better fighter because of it, no doubt about it. Well, well, it's it's funny because um, you know I often say to my students that martial arts have changed quite a bit, and actually that was quite normal, wasn't it? For you know, if you were young, you just sparred with the adults because there were no separate classes, um, and. Um, you know, I've mentioned a couple of times on this podcast, when I first started, I was sort of eight stone soaking wet. Um, and uh, there, were, uh, there were no weights, no weight categories. So you just sparred with anyone. <laughs> and, and if you think of that now, you know, uh, a difference of maybe five or six stone, <laughs> that could be quite, quite, uh, quite dangerous, I would suggest. But uh, it, it was the norm then. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, we hadn't, we didn't really have, yeah, weight categories but, yeah, back then either. Maybe there was two. But that was yeah. about it. The numbers weren't really there. No, no, that's right, that's right. Well, um, so when when um, when you got your your black books, I, I mean, I know that you you've gone into uh, into teaching and you you run your old run your own school. Was that something that you thought of as a color belt, or was it something that just happened? Um, you know, how 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 did that come about? So. I actually always enjoyed helping out. I, I, it's probably in my blood. My dad, my dad is a secondary school teacher, retired now, obviously, and my mom was a piano teacher. Oh, so wow. I guess instructing of some kind was was in my blood. And when I, I when I was a yellow tag, I was I was asking my instructor time, um, Grandmaster Dalton, now if I could warm up class. Now I might have been doing something like jumping jacks for five minutes and then into stretching. But I wanted to help, and he encouraged that. So as I, as I was going through the, the belts, I'd be on, down at the club on a Saturday, and I'd be there for five hours because I'd spend uh, the first three, four hours just helping out with the, with the children. And then I would do my own class in the teen adult class fine, to finish off the Saturday. So I always enjoyed helping out and, and teaching. And when I got my black belt, then when I was in first year in college, it was... December of that of that college year, and in March, I opened up my first school. Oh wow! Wow, that's good. Well, it, it is a different experience to me because when my instructor first asked me to teach, I, I nearly ran away, um, and I, I vowed that I would never come to a class again because it was the worst thing ever in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe after that I grew into it and I started my own school. But you know, that's a, a story for another day. But uh, one, one thing I, I do want to talk about you because I think you're you're quite unusual as in martial arts instructors because you've authored a book. Um, about health and fitness uh, and training principles. Now, most people, particularly within Taekwondo, tend to write books about Taekwondo. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I wrote a book, well, a while back now, 2011. It was actually about goal setting and using martial arts as a tool for goal setting and success that way. Um, so so what, what prompted the book? Uh, I mean, I know, I know you're very well qualified in that area. I've seen your qualifications as well. So uh, I'm assuming... You know, you you thought you thought there was a gap in the market in well, not the market, but a gap in that sort of knowledge between martial arts people. I don't know. Perhaps you could let us know. So, writing the book, funnily enough, wasn't my idea, even though I really enjoy writing. So, what happened was is that as I was competing in the kind of late nineties, through my twenties, anyway, I realized that if I wanted to have a decent competitive career that I needed to train smart and not hard all the time. So I did a lot of research into different types of training methodology. 
And the more I learned, the more I wanted to learn. And it was really just about applying it to my own body. And I think I, I, I retired. I did my last couple of competitions when I was 38. And I was still relatively, apart from some bad luck, I was pretty much injury-free. Nothing really happened to me as a result of poor training. It was always maybe just an unusual collision or something like that. So um, I had a really good career in terms of, of keeping healthy. And when I was in my mid-late 30s, a couple of people just said to me, you know, Shane, you, you really need to write a book about this because, and I'm quoting, you're in, in your, your, what, I think it was 36 when it was first said to me, you're 36 and you're still knocking the snot out of 18-year-olds. Yeah. You need to write about that. So it, it kind of put the idea in my head. And at first I was like, no, 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 I have enough on. So then in my last year of competition, I was, while training, I sat down and I said, okay, let's, let's write about what I'm doing while I'm training for this. And I knew I, was, I had planned to just hang up the gloves at the end of the year and just concentrate on teaching. So literally, I spent that year training for, um, for the ITF World Championships with the Chijing Hua Group and for the WKA World Championships in Orlando and wrote the book at the same time. And I was really happy with the with both the process and with the outcome. So, yeah, yeah. that's kind of how yeah. it came about. I, I was kind of cajoled into writing it, if you like. Once <laughs> yeah. I started, I really loved it. And I realized I had a massive library to draw from. And the thing is, strength and conditioning wasn't really a buzzword back then. Now, you, all you hear about is strength and conditioning, strength and conditioning. And it's, uh, it's almost vague, I think, at this point. But back then, it wasn't a thing except for professional teams. And yeah, so now I look back at it and I say, I think I was probably ahead of the curve in my 20s because most people don't look after themselves in their 20s. They're able to do well in spite of their lifestyle. Whereas yeah. I, for some reason, I was just inspired to try and have a healthy lifestyle. And I, I guess I was just thinking ahead, you know? Yeah, sure. Well, it, it's, um, I, I think for, for me, uh, Certainly, if, if I if I knew then <laughs> what I know now, I would definitely have trained a lot smarter. Um, you know, my, my philosophy was right. I'm going to train harder than anyone else uh, in my division. <laughs> um, and it, I mean, don't get me wrong; it, it seemed to work at the time. And luckily enough, my body was strong enough. Um, I know that some people's bodies can break down very easily. Um, you know, under strain for whatever reason, my body did actually. Uh, last and it, and it's still it's still going strong and I'm, I'm still training regularly but a lot more a lot smarter now um so is it is it something that i'm well i'm assuming it it is something that, uh, that you try and incorporate into your into your students now is that training smart and giving them some principles to uh to uh, work towards and maybe you know at the end of their fighting career they don't have to suffer uh, the injuries that a lot of people do Absolutely. And it's also given me a platform for explaining to them that there's ways we can get there. Let's take, for example, press-ups. A lot of students, when they come into, into the dojang first, we can say, okay, let's do, let's do 10, 20, 30, whatever it is, press-ups. But if a student can't do one press-up, there's no point in me as the instructor just saying, oh, you have to try harder or you have to work on this or whatever, we have to learn to say, okay, you physically cannot do a press-up. This is a, it's a, it's a health and fitness exercise, but we, we have to know how we can help the student get from A to B to do a press-up. 
and just throwing buzzwords at them, you know, oh, you have to try harder, bend your elbows, keep your hips up, doesn't really help them a lot. So the, I suppose the studying that I did in, in, in the realm of strength conditioning and, and gym work and so on, it allowed me to really break things down and say, okay, you can't do a physical press-up right now, but now this is what we need to work on. We need to work on your core. So let's hold the press-up because a press-up is basically doing a plank and moving up yep. and down while holding the plank. So it got me to look at things and help students to find small elements of success along the way because the gap between not doing a press-up and doing a press-up can actually be a massive gulf. But if we can find 10 little steps along the way, such as can you, can you put your body weight on your fists? Can you just start there? Now can we hold that for 30 seconds, 60 seconds? Now can we do a press-up by putting your hands up on a chair? So an yeah. incline press-up. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of the knees on the ground because it takes the core out of it. Whereas I like to get, get the hands up on a bench, a chair, a windowsill. Now let's do our press-ups there and gradually bring it down to the ground. So by, by building little successes in there, now you can bring the student along with you. And now that's not a huge gulf anymore. It's 10 small little chasms, if you like. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. It, it just, yeah, it, it gave me little tools for training health and fitness with kids and, and even adults that I didn't, I didn't have before. It was just, right. you know, try hard or whatever. And it was just, an, it was my lack of knowledge, you know? Yeah, sure. And I've actually, well, the question was, I hope I answered it. <laughs> no, 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 you, you did, you did, because um, it's fascinating to me. Now, you know, when, when I started teaching, um, it was uh, generally a lot of people were older than me, but they were still young. Um, but now, you know, we have from, in my class, I have from four, um, you know, right up to people in their 60s and early 70s even. Um, and that's, that's a huge range. Obviously, they don't all train together. Um, but what I found, and um, in fact, recently I, I did a grading uh, for a group of ladies. They're, they're called the Tough Old Birds. Um, and uh, the, 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 one of them was born in 1936. Uh, and she did um, – they, they do fantastic. So I, I, the, the instructor – is having to adapt things. So instead of doing press-ups, what they do is they use resistance bands, they put them around the shoulders, and they, they do that. So I, I think having that knowledge is really, really important. It allows you to look at some – just look at, I don't know, a, a little bit differently. Instead of doing the traditional press-up, okay, how can we change that, make it a little bit easier for somebody who is in their 70s, but they can still progress? So, um, you know, I mean, I would, I would say – I've, I've actually I've actually had a look at your book. I would say to anyone, you know, have a, have a look at that, and, and as an instructor, try and explore that um, as well. So uh, the, I don't I don't want to don't want you to mention any names, but you know, when you when you're going around, I don't know whether you watch any classes, and you know, do you see people and you think, oh, I wouldn't be doing that, or oh, because <laughs> I do. I, I, absolutely, absolutely, I do, and. You know, training has evolved, and I think it's evolved in a really good direction. Yes. And we have equipment has become easier. So, like, for example, using resistance bands 20 years ago was was, was going to be unheard of because you couldn't get them. Yeah. So it's fantastic now that we have access to, to tools like that that we can use and things like medicine balls and sandbells 
because they give us training options for people who can't do body weight yet. They're just not there. They can't support their body weight. And I'm delighted to hear about you training with people in their 70s because I actually did a course on training older adults last year in the first lockdown in Ireland. Uh, I became okay. friends with a really good personal training and ca- trainer in California and yes. he's branched into education. His entire business model as a personal trainer is training older adults and helping yeah. them to do fall prevention and balance cognitive um, development, all these things. So getting rid of you know old people having to shuffle along afraid that they're going to fall battling sarcopenia which just for anyone who's listening who doesn't know what that is sarcopenia is the loss of of muscle and bone density through aging and that starts in the 40s by the way yeah yeah scary it is (laughs) well 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 i i don't i don't think i don't think um it's it's funny isn't it because um i mean i I, I would I would say that what I try and do is I try and keep my my education um, with that type of thing as current as possible. Now, when I started teaching, and again, this is for all any any instructors out there, and perhaps you can comment on this. Uh, my first instructor's course for Taekwondo, I went along, and uh, we went over Chonji to Chungmu, and that was it. And all of a sudden, I was an instructor, um, yes. and then I went off. And then I realized, actually, I didn't know anything. So I actually started going to a, um, a sports therapy academy um, and doing courses on soft tissue injury and, uh, you know, that type of thing and how to look after people better and uh, massage and, and all that sort of stuff. And my knowledge just went, wow, like that. And not only did I benefit, but my students benefited immensely. Um, because my knowledge just increased, um, and I realized I realized at that time. And when I, when I teach instructors now, I, t- I say them, I say to them, you know, never stop learning. You know, go go on these courses, um, go along, take courses on um, anatomy and physiology, uh, whatever you want to do. You know, but get more knowledge. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? It, it's a it's a fascinating uh, question, actually. Um, I, I've obviously like yourself, I wouldn't have done as many um, international instructors courses as you obviously, but I've done a lot and almost all of them were, were framed the way you describe. It was going through the patterns. So it was all about technical information yeah. as opposed to how to teach it. And for a lot of people, instructing doesn't come naturally. So it was, it was good to see, uh, a couple of um, people that I thought ran really good international instructors courses, and, I, and I'll tell you two of them because they were all about you couldn't leave the that weekend with your certificate unless you actually were in front of the entire group teaching. One was is um, and I've I actually I've, I've done three or four of them with him now is um, with uh, first grandmaster Ree. He he will get everybody who's doing the IIC with him, he, you have to get up in front of the group and you have to teach. Yeah. So you'll have to do the warm-up, you'll have to do stretching, you'll have to teach fundamental movements or patterns, but you have to teach. And, and he will correct you as you, go, as you go as well if he feels the need to do that. Um, another one was um, hosted by Grandmaster Sutherland, may she rest in peace. It was taught predominantly by um, Master Thompson, 
And so this was in Glasgow a couple of years ago. And Master Thompson had put together the, the, the program of the IAC and it was absolutely fantastic. It was everything, how to do a scientific warm-up, stretching out, to how to teach properly. One of the best parts of the course for me was he got us all out to teach as if somebody had um, a certain disability. So I was actually thrown in the spotlight first. It got easier for people as it went along, but I, was, I just happened to be the first to get pulled out. And I had to teach a class as if they were all deaf. Yeah. So in other words, I had to teach without speaking. Yeah. And that, was yeah. a that was a challenge. So I taught parallel sense punching without saying a word. And I, how I did it was totally up to me, but it got me to innovate and it gave me a whole new perspective on how we can teach using all of our abilities, you know. So it was really good. I, and I think we, we need more courses like that, that challenge our preconceptions as to how we can teach. No, I, I, I agree. Um, many moons ago in my first school, I had a couple and they were both partially sighted. Um, so as you know, with martial arts classes, you know, the, the, the beginners go to the back <laughs> and they can't see a great deal. So actually, this was going back in 1984, 85. I put them in the front row um, and uh, so they could just see my shadow and an outline. Um, and they loved it. They loved it. But it, what, what it did for me was um, it, it taught me a lot about how to um, change things and and what I used to do was I used to actually get their arms and put them in position so they, they could feel what the movement felt like uh, and things like that so yeah I, I, I would agree with that I think um, you know things like that and challenges like that make you uh, a, certainly a better instructor um, and it forces you to learn it forces you to learn <laughs> because as you said before a lot of the times it isn't them it's us <laughs> <laughs> that's a hard that's a hard pill to swallow <laughs> it, is. it is yeah the, the, the other thing i learned sorry i don't know i'm spending a lot of time on this but i, I wanted to quiz your brain because i, I know you, you're sort of knowledgeable on this area but one thing that um i don't know i'm not quite sure when it dawned on me um but it dawned on me uh many many years ago that people learn in different ways <laughs> you know all the audio <laughs> yes. learners verbal learners kinesthetic learners that type of thing and you know i used to stand at the front of the class saying right do this and go what's wrong with them why aren't they doing it i've, I've just told them i've showed them <laughs> you say perhaps it's me <laughs> so what, what are your thoughts on that? I, know, I, mean. I, I actually find that you know sometimes we take credit ourselves um without realizing where where the materials come from my students have made me a better instructor over the years without a shadow of a doubt I can't take credit um, for, for improving over the years. I have to say it's my students because they have taught me how to teach them. Yes. And uh, like I, I've had to develop four or five different ways of explaining the exact same thing to students simply because the student in front of me didn't quite get what I was explaining. So I said, okay, how can I explain this another way? Now I have an arsenal of, of different ways to explain things because it's, yeah. it's taken over 20 years to get there. So it's, but even, even then now and again, I'll still have to think, wow, I've explained this to you a few different ways. You're still not getting it. I need to come up with another way. And um, yeah. let me think about this, but it, it's the students over the last 20 years that have made it easier for me to teach the students of today. 
Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Well, we'll, 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 move, we'll move on slightly. Um, I, I will say to anybody listening to this, um, we'll, we'll put uh, 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 perhaps a link to, to Shane's book um, if he's got a link in the show notes. So, you know, take a look at it. Uh, I'm sure you won't be uh, disappointed. He's, he's very knowledgeable. Um, and as a martial artist as well, I can understand the, the situations and the problems that we encounter. Uh, the, the other thing um, that I like to to sort of find out, particularly with somebody who's been doing martial arts a while, is, is how you fit martial arts and your training into your everyday life at the moment. Um, you know, how, how, how do you manage that? That's a, that's a great question. Um, it's actually not the most difficult thing for me because I'm a full-time instructor. And they say, you know, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Yes. So I don't consider it as work. And even though I'm still teaching pretty much the same syllabus as I was 20 years ago, still not bored of it. I'd say love, love what I do. So I teach you, apart from Saturdays, I'm teaching mainly in the evenings. So like yourself, I tend to do my own training in the morning. Yeah, I like to, I need to have my a breakfast first, so I tend to do it later in the morning, but I do it in the morning and, and then it's, it's done for the day. Um, and then, you know, in between classes and stuff, I do what the stuff self-employed people have to do. You know, I, I get all my admin out of the way. But it gives me a chance to, to read. I like to read a lot of the spiritual teachers like Eckhart Tolle and Anthony DeMello. And I think that uh, as an instructor, that training that side of, of, our, of our art is really, really important. In general, General Che was, was a big believer in moral culture. I think it's something that uh, a lot of instructors need to maybe bring more in is that it, we, it's so easy to focus on the te and the quan, but we need to make sure that we are emphasizing the do as well. So in my own training, I, I do a lot of that side of things as well. And it's a work in progress, believe me. Yeah, yeah, def- definitely. definitely. Oh. Well, I, 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 sorry to cut you off, though. I think I, while I remember, it's, it's very interesting. When I took, my, I took my sixth degree under General Che, and, um, you know, I, I, I did my patterns and the night before I was doing all my meanings and my patterns and, and so on. And then when I went up to the table for questions, he asked me some questions. And one of the things he did say to me, he said, you know, you need to read more about philosophy um, and things like that. And I, I did take it to heart and I did actually go away and um, I started reading more about uh, the more philosophical side, um, which actually changed my outlook on um, uh, martial arts, um, not just my own martial arts, but just martial arts in general. Um, and actually, I, th- I think, uh, certainly enhanced um, my teaching. So I, I don't know whether you've, you've found that yourself. Uh, absolutely. And even when you look at the students, oh, you know, I, I believe General Che was a, was a big fan of uh, the teachings of Confucius, uh, among others. Yes. And uh, when you look at the students' oath, and when, when it expands, it's a bit like the middle of a circle and then expanding out from there, you know, from, you know, I, I observe the sense of Taekwondo and it finishes with, I will build a more peaceful world. But that Confucian teaching, which was respect in the home for your elders, comes before contributing to your community, your village, and then yeah. finally contributing to society as a whole. Very Confucian uh, what's the word I want to use? Confucianistic, if you like. <laughs> yes, yes. You know? And uh, 
So, you know, it starts at home respecting our parents and then respecting our teachers and then contributing to society before you can go from there. And uh, it was, I, th- I think sometimes we need to look at that as saying that we can, there's no point coming to a martial arts school and saying yes, sir, and yes, miss to your Taekwondo instructor, but then you go at home and you're giving your parents a hard time. It, it's backwards. It has to start at home and then from there evolve into your martial arts school yeah. and community and so on. And part of that moral culture is just simplifying that, you know? Yeah, yeah, de- def- definitely. I would, I would definitely agree with that. Well, um, as, as, a, as I mentioned, you know, for, for, for myself, you know, when I started martial arts, I, I found out that um, for whatever reason, I was quite good at competition and it suited me, although I didn't start martial arts to compete, um, but I ended up as a competitor. But um, one, one thing I found, um, you know, then was uh, once I got into competition and I got into the physical side, that was my, my focus. My focus is very different now. Um, and throughout these podcasts, I've mentioned that I, I, I now do meditation and I do quite a bit of breath work, um, uh, you know, at home here, not so much in the class with, with students, but I do some meditation and I found that very valuable. Um uh, and what about yourself? Do you do, you do any of that? Um, any meditation or breath work or both? Uh, both. I about eight or nine years ago, I was going through a quite a stressful time in in my in my life. Um, don't really need to go through details. Everybody goes goes through it at some point, but it was it was quite an acute stressful period. And I discovered that there was there was a lack in in that side of my martial arts training. Sure, I practiced moral culture and all that, but what I didn't do enough of was meditation. Actually, I did none of it, in fact. So it, I, I made the leap. I downloaded an app called Headspace. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've, I've had that one. And I started following that. That might have come even a couple of years afterwards, but I, the real development of, of learning about meditation was I started, I just downloaded an app called Headspace. And I did the 10 days for free, 10 minutes every day. And after about 10 days, I was noticing so much more peace in my mind. So I went and I took on the year subscription and I did the 30-day intro after that. And I stuck with the Headspace app for about three years and then it just became a bit repetitive, so I moved on. Now I'm at the point where I actually would do, I'm not a guru, guru or anything, but I would do guided meditations for some of my students and some of my personal training clients when they're stressed out. And yeah. it's, I find it an incredibly valuable tool. And when I would do a meditation with them, I still find that peace of mind comes over me in the moment. Yeah. yeah. And that's what kind of got me reading the likes of Eckhart Tolle as well. I think too, too often we, we sacrifice the present moment because we're worrying about the future and we're still fretting about what's happened in the past. Yeah. It's gone. And um, I think if, if we even brought that into our martial arts classes more and more, a meditation can be as simple as take a breath and just be, just be where you are right now in this moment. That, that, yeah. that can be the simplest meditation ever, in my opinion. And I always say to students, when we're warming up, don't just think about warming up your body. You're not warming up properly if you're thinking about what you're going to be watching on TV when you go home while doing your stretches. Yes. Prepare the mind. Warm up your mind as well as your body. When we're doing the aerobic part of it, 
I just want you to focus on, well, what techniques are we going to do today? What are we going to be practicing? I'm getting ready. I'm getting my mind focused, ready to exert myself. When we're doing our stretches, I don't want you thinking about something else. I want you to actually put your mind on your body. Concentrate on where you're feeling the stretch. How does it feel? Is it intensity? Is it out of one to 10? All these different things. I just want their mind on what they're doing right then. For me, that's a meditation. A lot of people think of a meditation as levitating and their mind or having, you know, an out-of-body experience. And I yeah. think there's still that concept out there. People think meditation is something that they can't do. Meditation can be as simple as take a couple of easy breaths and focus on what you're doing right now. Yeah. And then you can always do guided meditations and stuff. That, that, that's all part of the, of the deal. But I think we need to simplify it. Master David Hudson, I don't know if you're familiar with him or not. No, no, no. So he, uh, he did a wonderful seminar on mindfulness and meditation uh, a few weeks back. And it was really, really good. And uh, he, it would be, I, I would suggest to people to look him up if they're looking to bring in meditation and mindfulness into their martial arts training. Because I yep. believe he does regular classes in it as well over Zoom. And I know how much you love Zoom, sir. <laughs> um, but I, I would recommend contacting him because I think, uh, I think I, he taught it really, really well. Oh, that, that, that's quite interesting. And it's good, it's good to hear, that, hear you say that because uh, I completely agree and concur with everything you said there. Um, and it's funny because I found meditation because of some trauma in my life as well. Um, I, I was going through a particularly uh, difficult time and um, I was finding it hard to sleep, actually. Um, so I got into some meditation and some breath work and then it, it sort of, I thought, wow, you know, this is, this is, this is really good. And then realized that actually meditation and uh, breath work has been a massive part of martial arts ever since martial arts began. <laughs> but we seem to have sort of... Um, well, I think we don't concentrate on that part of it, unfortunately, um, which is which is a shame. But as you say, just just a couple of minutes will make a massive difference uh, to to lots of people. The other thing that I found as well, and this was while I was going through, um, I don't know if, if you had an experience of this, was tapping. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of tapping. But yes, energy tapping, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Now, I started doing that, and I still do it, uh, not as much as I did, but I started doing uh, energy tapping, um, and I found that really, really beneficial as well. Uh, it, and I, from time to time, when I get a little bit stressed, I still use it. I still do some tapping. Uh, similar sort of thing. I got an app, started with that, had uh, some free ones, and then I bought the you know the year subscription. Um, and it's fantastic. I actually use it if I'm a little bit stressed before I go to bed. I use that as well. So I, um, I don't know if you – obviously you've heard of it, as you say, but I don't know whether you tried anything like that. I, I I tried it. I got a couple of books on it. One was called Energy Tapping. I think the other one was called Freedom from Fear Forever, if I remember correctly. I didn't learn effectively from the book, but I did get, I got some uh, during that period where I, I needed a little bit of coaching and uh, that side and on dealing with stress. So I, I went and I got a few counseling sessions and uh, he incorporated tapping as part of those sessions with me. That I found beneficial when I was taught by an actual person. I didn't get it from the books, unfortunately. Okay. So, but I was glad to get the opportunity to learn it um, face to face. 
from someone because I could see it can work if you if you know how to apply it. Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. Um, well, in in. It's funny because, like I said, all, all these things to me are, are all part of um, us as individuals. I don't separate them. But the, the other thing I was going to ask you about was um, uh, uh, any diet or food regimes. Um, I'm, I'm, I've been exploring a, uh, a meat-based diet um, and eating uh, nose to tail, uh, eating uh, particularly a, quite a large amount of liver. Um, and I found that um, s- certain changes in my physical ability has been very very noticeable i feel a bit stronger i actually digest uh, animal products really well um i've always had a problem with digestion um and plants for whatever reason don't seem to agree with me um i, I it's only recently i found that out um but i seem to um, really really my body seems to really work well on animal-based products and that's that's when it goes in and also when it comes out <laughs> so um it's very noticeable but how about yourself do you, do you have any sort of regimes that you stick to or you know i'm a big believer in the jerf diet i don't know excuse me now i have to oh. apologize clear my throat <clears throat> excuse me i'm a big believer in the jerf diet j-e-r-f it stands yeah. for just eat real food all ah, right yes yeah yeah <laughs> yeah um you know what? I know this is a bit of a stereo. It, it's a it's a commonly used expression, you know. Um, but everything in moderation, especially moderation. Moderation, yeah. We, we can have a balanced diet. So yeah. I think uh, people's bodies tend to let them know when they're eating yes. well or not. Yes. If you spring out of bed in the morning, that's a great sign. If you crawl out of bed in the morning, that's a bad sign. If I, I enjoy a bar of chocolate, I enjoy a bag yeah. of crisp occasionally. I'm partial yeah. to a pint of Guinness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but those things aren't daily. They're, 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 they're occasional. So as long as you do the daily stuff, I think that's important. So yes. um, in other words, you know, get a good mix of your protein, get your fruits and vegetables. Don't yeah. go crazy on the, on the grains. And... Yeah. Um, and just minimize the two most heavily processed foods, which are dairy and wheat. Yes. Most allergies are dairy and wheat. So they're, they're, they're highly processed typically. So if just people minimize their dairy and wheat, I'm not saying you have to cut, unless you're actually allergic to it, you don't should need to cut it out entirely. But just to minimize it, get plenty of fruits and vegetables. And I teach this to all my Tijuana students as well. And, I, and especially for the kids, I simplify it. Talk about the rainbow. The rainbow was all these different colors. Yeah, and I say, yeah. at minimum, get three different colors of the rainbow per day. And, yeah. ma- and ideally get five, but minimum three. So sometimes people will, they'll have cucumber, say celery, and say green pepper. And I'd say, that's great now. You've had three vegetables, but they're all the same color. Yes. So yes, yes. Two colors to hit. So <laughs> what we do is uh, I give them a project and we, we do a chart. So I, if I could just emphasize this on the children, because anything I find anything that works with children will work with adults, but the other way around isn't the case. Yeah. So um, I get kids to do a chart. So let's do all the different colors and list off as many fruits and vegetables as they can in each color. And then what happens is they've got this huge chart of fruits and vegetables with stuff in there they would never have thought of eating, but they actually realize I can do this. So 
what we oftentimes say to the parents is if you want the children to eat more fruits and veg, get them involved in the decision making. So yeah. let's say the parents are going to choose the color, but let the children choose what's what they get out of that color in their right. lunch okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now the parents have made sure they're picking the three, four, five colors, but the kids are picking what vegetables and fruits they're eating from that selection. So get they are involved in the decision-making process, and so they buy into it a lot easier, and everybody's happy. Yeah, yeah, great, great, great advice, great advice. Well, we're, we're sort of we're sort of coming to the end of uh, end of this this podcast, but I, I want to ask you um, really um, going back to the sort of the martial arts side, what you believe. Um, I mean, I, I, I can probably guess, and I'm sure, you know, uh, people that have been doing martial arts a long time could probably guess, but what you feel martial arts has, has done for you and given you, um, uh, you know, uh, as you've been doing it, as you started, as you've gone through and so on. So, yeah, what, what has it done for you? In a sense, it's probably done the most important thing that that I think any of us as human beings could ask for. And it's it's given me my purpose. And I'd like to elaborate on that for a moment if we have time. Um, yes, we do. I, we believe, do. I, I believe we have an inner and an outer purpose. The inner purpose is whatever we're, we were born on this earth to do. Whatever, so whatever your personal belief might be. Okay. So, and then our outer purpose is, well, what are we going to do to survive and help us to live until we fulfill that inner purpose. When the two come together, I think that is everything. So I think my inner purpose, it's, and the reason I think this is because I'm never more at, at peace than when I'm teaching st students and helping them to move from where they are in life to where they want to be. And sometimes I get, only get to do this for three months and sometimes I get to do this for 12, 15, 20 years. Yeah. It depends. Yeah. students get what they need from you and then they move on I had yeah. to learn that along the way so my inner purpose I firmly believe is to um, to teach to help other people yeah. and my outer purpose has been to be able to you know provide a livelihood for myself through martial arts so they've both, sure. they've actually worked together and so martial arts is, in a sense has given me everything and I'm extremely grateful. I'm extremely grateful to the instructor that brought me to Black Belt. I'm extremely grateful for all the mentors that I've had over the years. And, I, and I've had many mentors, yourself included, sir. Um, and I'm very grateful, you know, to, to everybody who's contributed to that journey. So, yeah, I think the answer is, what has Marsha given me? It's given me everything. And if I could maybe just leave this nugget for the instructor's who are, who are listening because there might be instructors who are only going a few years. And I had to learn this myself. Students will, will come and go along the way. And sometimes as instructors, we get frustrated because the students been, you know, maybe they got the blue belt and, and they decided to quit or whatever. But I realized some time ago, students come to you for different reasons and they come for different things. Sometimes they need to be with you for 10 years to get what they needed. In, yeah. in their area in their life to move to move forward but sometimes they get it after three or six months and they're ready to move on and i think as instructors if we realize that wow i might actually only have three months with this student 
If I knew I could only teach them for three months, how differently would I teach them than if I assume I have them for 10 years? Yes. We can yes. make them. We cha- it changes our perception entirely. It changes our approach as an instructor. If, if when a student comes in the door and we look at each student and say, okay, I might only have you for a few months. I'm, I'm going to try and help you as much as I can in that period. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that, well, that, that's a that's a fantastic, uh, fantastic answer. And I think um, you know one thing that that uh, I've realised is that, that gratitude is really important. Um, you know, as you mentioned there, and being grateful for, for the things that uh, uh, you know that we've managed to do and, and the lives that we've managed to change. But thank you. I'd like to say thank you very very much uh, for coming on the podcast. Um, I'd also love to have you on this podcast again, perhaps discuss some other things. Um, we'll we'll put some information for anybody that wants to uh, again a look at your book we'll put some information in the show notes uh, about your book um i just want to wish you all the best and, and thank you ever so much uh, i'm sure my listeners are gonna uh, love love uh, this podcast and they've loved it um so yes you know good luck to you in the future i'm sure we'll we'll meet again um at some point and um you know yes. maybe, maybe share some laughs again well thank you for thank you very much for inviting me sir and you know I hope everybody realizes that um, you know the person conducting this interview. You know, you 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 are actually um, you are a world leader in in Taekwondo, and you inspire so many people. And it was a, such a pleasure to spend time with you. Tournaments often aren't the best because things are crazy, but it was great to spend time with you in in West Africa and and see you teaching. And you've done wonderful things um, over there. And and I want to applaud you for that. And I hope everybody realizes how much you actually give back. This podcast included. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. And uh, thanks, everybody, for thanks to everyone for listening to the Living Martial Arts podcast. Uh, I'm the Dark Master, and I'll see you very, very soon. Thank you.